Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. We wake up every morning thinking, oh, where am I going to find peace and hope and satisfaction? Ah. Oh. And the Lord in a thousand ways reminds us, you have a savior. You have a father. You have a future. You have a hope. And for the rest of the day, we go, yes. <laughs> and then we walk. And then the next day, oh man, something hard happens. Tell me again. Tell me the old, old story slowly that I may take it in. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Do you feel empty inside? Are you always striving for happiness and never seem to find it? In today's message, Pastor Ricky teaches us that those who thirst for something more can find living water in the person of Jesus Christ. Those who drink of the Lord will never thirst again. God, the author of life itself, is able to feed our hungry souls with His truth and love. Through the power of His resurrection, Christians can know without a doubt that they have eternal life with God, their Maker. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part two of his message, The Happiest Book in the Bible, from the book of Philippians, chapter four. What's the one thing that you think, if I had that, then I would be happy, right? Maybe it's that relationship. Maybe it's that next raise. Maybe it's, it's oh, if this election would go the way I wanted it to go, or if, 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 if my workplace would finally get fixed, or they would finally promote me, if that happened, then I would be happy. Or maybe the other way around. What's the thing that if it were taken away, you think I could not live? The problem is that if that is not in the Lord, it can be taken away. Paul calls us. He invites us, relocate your joy to the Lord. Now, there's a problem, though, if you're paying attention, if you're keeping score at home. How can we find our joy in the Lord if we have rejected him and turned away from him? Remember that part? Oh, yeah, we kind of skipped over that part. But if we've rejected God, turned away from him, refused to drink from the stream, come under his judgment, trying to drink out of these broken bottles— how do we get back to where we can rejoice in the Lord? Section three, the path. The path is the same things. Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He, he's telling him, look, I've been telling you things you've heard from me before. And I'm about to tell you some more things that you have already heard from me before, right? So he's saying, listen, none of this is new. When I came to Philippi, what did I do? I talked to you about some things. And then as I've come back to visit, I told you the same things again. And now in this letter, I'm just telling you the same things yet again. But these same things are wrapped up with the joy. In essence, the same things are the path to joy. I went through a phase I think like everybody probably in college where I was like an Apple fanboy. 
when I was a teenager, college years, this is like the peak of like Apple invents the iPod. And people were like, oh, you know, whoa. And then they come out with the iPhone. And so if you ever watched one of those presentations where every year, you know, the lights would get low and then the music would play, it'd be like a U2 song. And then Steve Jobs would come out and his like, his black turtleneck and his jeans, very unassuming, and he would just change the world. They're like, oh, you guys don't even know what we have. And people are like screaming, oh my gosh, Steve, what is it? And you know, and he's like, oh, nothing. We, saw, we solved world hunger this year, it's really nothing. And you think, okay, that new product, that new thing, I cannot wait to see what it is, right? What Paul is saying is what he's been doing with the Philippians is every time he takes the stage with them and in Philippi, he just says the same things, right? It's not a new thing, it's no new product. He just marches back out, same, same things. See, in our world today, we are fascinated with the new, the novel, the latest, the greatest. We think that maybe in that next diet, maybe in that next technology, maybe in that next relationship, we'll finally find true and lasting joy, and yet we forget the discarded trail behind us, right? We think, oh, maybe this thing, no. Maybe this, no. We look behind us, there's this long line, and Paul says, no, 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 no. Get off of that train. What you need most, he says, is not something new, but something true. Paul says the same things are what we need most. A few years ago, when I was in college, I was in part of this college ministry, we were trying to promote this conference, um, and the theme of the conference was, hey, forget reinvention. Some things are you know, don't need to be reinvented. And so as sort of a PR stunt, just so we could take a bunch of pictures, we convinced, I can't believe we did this, we convinced a bunch of college students with this one ministry we were working with to go out and do a fake protest, okay? And so what they did is they had shirts and everything and they had some homemade signs and they went out into the front of the college and as people are coming in and walking to class, their protest was, save the wheel. So they're chanting, save the wheel, Save the wheel. They have signs everywhere. And listen, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on on college campuses, but e this was even notable, right? Like you have the weirdos on college campuses that come out and going, who are these people? The wheel people, you know? And honestly, I, a lot of it was just for the pictures and probably to freak everyone out a little bit, which you enjoy when you're in college, I think. Um, but the point of it was, I love the, the idea of it, was the point of it was, look, you cannot improve upon the wheel, right? I mean, it just works. You could try to add little ridges to it. You can like try to, if you make it a square, it's dead. If you make it a triangle, it's dead. A diamond, it's dead. Just leave it the wheel, right? And so it was the idea. And Paul is kind of holding out the same thing. He's saying, look, you don't need to reinvent this. You need the same things. Stop looking for the next wheel, Rejoice in the same things. These same things, he says, are the path to joy. There's not gonna be a new path, a better path. We get, all, we get taken in all the time with this stuff. Some, some like pop culture, religious or spiritualistic book will come out like The Secret and we're like, <gasps> what's The Secret? You know? And we forget like three years ago, somebody else had another book like that. But it's, it's like, no, no, but, but this time, what is it? And Paul's like, no, forget it, just Think about, center yourself on the same things. They are the path to joy. So what are the same things? Well, Paul tells us, thankfully, he says, listen, I'm gonna tell you what is of first importance. Out of everything I've told you, this is the thing I keep saying and will keep saying, 
He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, meaning he didn't come up with this, that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. That, he says, is the core of the same things. And if you read Paul's letters, you know what he talks about? He talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus again and again and again. Listen, this is what the church at its core has confessed for generation after generation and century after century, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And this Easter, what we need is not some newfangled spirituality. We need to reclaim the same things. We learn the same things and confess the same things about his life, that Jesus was born miraculously, that he was fully human, that he laughed and cried and hurt. We confess that he was fully God, that he could forgive sins, that the Son of God himself came and walked among us, that Jesus experienced every temptation at every point we do, and yet he never failed. We confess the same things about Jesus' death, that he was betrayed because of greed and crucified because of jealousy and hatred and nailed to a Roman cross and cursed in the eyes of all who saw him but we confess this was no accident, that Jesus chose the cross. Because on the cross, Paul says, for God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Meaning that on the cross, Jesus was punished as if he had committed our sins so that our record could be cleared and our guilt wiped away. He did this so if we believe in him, our sins would be paid forever. And we confess the same things about his resurrection. We confess with the the centuries of church history that Jesus did not stay dead, but that on the third day, God raised him from the dead. That it was his vindication that everything he taught and said and claimed was true. That the sacrifice he made to God for our sins was accepted. We confess that if we believe in him, we are united with him, both in his death, which pays for our sins, and in his new life, which raises us to new life, raises us spiritually right now, giving us all of the stuff that the testimonies you heard just told you, giving us new life and peace and hope. But one day, holding out the promise that when we die or Jesus returns, we will have absolutely new life in every sense of the word. Look, in our world today, it's popular to see Jesus as a nice guy and pat him on the head and keep moving on, right? Like, oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus, you know? That's kind of the attitude our culture has. Nobody's like, oh, I hate Jesus. It's just like, no, he's a nice guy. I mean, he seemed nice. I'm sorry he died, but he had some nice things to say, love one another or something like that. Listen, our Oxford scholar famously pointed out that anyone who said the things Jesus said, there, were, there was only three possibilities about that person. First, they could be totally insane. Right? Seriously, if, you, if somebody, one of your coworkers confides into you tomorrow, hey man, I have something to tell you. Okay, what is it, Jeff? I think I'm the son of God. You'd be like, okay, Jeff, we're gonna walk together and make a phone call, you know? I mean, that's not normal. I can forgive your sins. Like, okay, Jeff, <laughs> Right? That's, I mean, but that's what Jesus was claiming. 
Or, second possibility, he was evil. He was just deceiving people intentionally and evilly. Or third, he really was the son of God who could forgive sins. Those are the only options, our Oxford scholar points out. Those are the only three options. You today have to respond to Jesus by thinking one of those three things. Either you think, okay, these people might be right. He might be the son of God. He might be alive. Or I think he was crazy, or I think he was probably a bad guy. But you don't get to pick another option. And we together today confess with all of church history these same things, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, and Jesus will come and claim his people. Paul knew what he believed, and he was changed because on the road to persecute more Christians, the risen Jesus appeared to him, and it changed everything. He says, in light of this, in chapter three, I count now everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So all of that stuff, his reputation, his Roman citizenship, his career as a scholar, being beloved in the eyes of his people, he threw all of that away to sit in a Roman jail cell. Why? Because he believed that the joy in Jesus was better than anything else he could find elsewhere. That is what he claimed And that's what he charges us with today. What does the empty tomb mean? One thing it means related to this is that because of Jesus' resurrection, because of his death, life, and resurrection, we can return to the spring of living water again. It means because our sin has been paid for, our guilt atoned for, the pathway to joy, the pathway to relationship with God has opened again. Where once we were cut off from God, we can now return to God. Our Oxford scholar, when he later became a Christian, described it like waking up from a nap when you don't even realize you've fallen asleep. Right? Do you ever have that moment where you're just like, oh, whoa, I didn't realize I was asleep. That's what coming to Christ is like. It's like, Oh, wow. Listen, friend, if you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian, I want you to understand this is the heart of Christianity. This is the thing of first importance, right? We are not here as Christians in church because we believe we're good people, that we like to hang out with other good people, and we hope the bad people stay out. We are here because in a million different ways, Jesus has met us on the road and showed us that we are guilty and we need him and we are cut off from the spring of living water because of what we've done, but also showed us that Jesus is alive, that he died to pay our sins and offer us new life. And all of us in the church are like, is this deal still available? (laughs) Yes, I would like to do that. Listen, friend, today may well be the place that Jesus stops you on the road to. If you feel this, if you feel this in your heart, God is doing something in you. Don't be satisfied with the stuff of this world. Long deeper and truer to return to the spring of living water. That's section three. Section four, last sections will be brief. Section four, no trouble. I love this. Paul writes this. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me. He's saying, look, I don't get tired of telling you the same stuff again and again. I don't get tired. The lights go down, music comes on. I walk out on the stage, same presentation. I don't get tired of it. I'll keep doing it until I am dead. And yet he's writing this to Christians, right? They know the things. It's not like, oh, we've never heard this before. No, 
They know the thing. So why is he reminding them of the same things over again and again and again? Because what we see in Scripture is that the gospel truths set out again and again are the fuel for our Christian life. They're not just, the, as, as Keller has said, they're not just the, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. That everything we learn and grow in as Christians is connected in some way to the truth of the gospel. And we need this because we are forgetful. Our hearts get restless. We start looking around for something new. But again, what we need most in this life is not something new, but something true. The truth of the gospel is the path to true joy. There's an old hymn that says this, tell me the story slowly that I may take it in. That wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often, for I forget so soon. I heard a story about an elderly man with memory loss who every morning would wake up sad. He'd forgotten most of the events of his life, but his son would come in every day and he would be overjoyed. I have a son. And that would carry him for the rest of the day until the next morning he woke up and forgot again and was sad again and rediscovered again. I have a son and rejoice again. Friends, that picture is like what I think a picture of us is. We wake up every morning thinking, oh, where am I gonna find peace and hope and satisfaction? Ah, oh. and the Lord in a thousand ways reminds us, you have a savior, you have a father, you have a future, you have a hope. And for the rest of the day, we go, yes! <laughs> and then we walk and then the next day, oh man, something hard happens. Tell me again, tell me the old, old story slowly that I may take it in. I forget. Friends, we want to be a same things kind of church. We want to tell the same things again and again. It doesn't mean we don't talk about lots of different things, but we talk about everything connected to the gospel. We open his word individually where we encounter Jesus. We meet with one another here and in small groups where we remind each other of Jesus. We sing about Jesus. We teach about Jesus. We see every day we have a savior. I love that we've like put it in our name so that if we start teaching something else too often, somebody just puts their hand up and says, hey, I thought our name was Class of Grace. Why did we name it that? We go, oh, yes, we have a Savior. So let me ask you, friend, are you in a place where the same things are stale and old and cold to you or in a place where they feel fresh and alive? And if, if they're stale and old, I want to encourage you, get in the Word, get in fellowship, get in a place where you can rediscover these things. Last point, section five, the effect safe for you. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul wants the Philippians to heed his words, to hear the same things again, to find joy, because that place is a place of safety. Think about this. Why do people who've been married for years and years and years commit adultery? Why do people drink and get drunk instead of taking care of their kids? Why do people steal from their company or from a family member? Why do they do these things? Because we think they will make us happy. That's why we do them. 
Our Oxford scholar would point out that the only way to fight the promise of false joy is with the promise of a greater joy. He says this, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the nature of things promised us in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Paul is, is saying, listen, you want to be safe? You want to be in a safe place? You think about and meditate and rejoice in and rediscover the same things until joy wells up in your heart and you point your heart to the stream of living water. And if you do that, oh, what can the world offer you? What can the world offer you? You will be satisfied. And this, this wasn't a half-hearted exhortation for Paul. He kept clinging to these things until his death at the hand of a Roman executioner. And in the case of our Oxford scholar, well, he didn't die a martyr, but later in life, he fell in love with a woman after many years, only to watch her tragically die from illness far too soon. And yet he never lost his grip on joy and his pursuit of joy in the Lord. Friends, you can bank on this. There is safety here. So let me wrap this up this way. What should we take away from this? I want us to connect our quest for joy and the empty tomb today. The empty tomb means that the way to relationship with God, the way to joy has opened again. The empty tomb is an invitation for all of us to lay down your old life and rise again with Jesus to joy forever. You probably guessed it by now, but the Oxford scholar that's been helping us this morning is none other than C.S. Lewis, who became famous later on by giving radio addresses in World War II, helping support spiritually his countrymen. He wrote a classic book, along with many others, Mere Christianity. He's perhaps best known and best loved by me for writing the Chronicles of Narnia. And I will let him have the last word with us today. He says this, give up yourself and find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you only find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. We're so glad that you tuned in today to Better News Radio for Pastor Ricky's study through the happiest book in the Bible. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard today and that Jesus' joy is filling you up. 
If you ever find that you have any questions or would like to share a prayer request with us, please give us a call at 915-562-7100. We love that we can pray for our listeners, so don't hesitate. That phone number again is 915-562-7100. Or you can email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. We'd also like to invite you to visit our website, betternewsradio.com. There you can listen to today's message again or search through our archive of previous teachings by Pastor Ricky. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to receive the latest messages as soon as they're available. Pastor Ricky has created an introduction video for our website visitors, telling you about the gospel message and why it's vital for the world today. Watch it online and find out more about the ministry of Better News Radio at betternewsradio.com. While we'd love to spend more time with you today, sadly, that brings us to our conclusion. We'd like to encourage you to read ahead in the book of Philippians and let the Holy Spirit guide your own time of study. He might just reveal something you never would have caught before. Thanks for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again to hear more from Pastor Ricky right here on Better News Radio.